Good afternoon, and again, it's a joy uh, to be with you, and uh, we're very, very thankful uh, for the opportunity to be together, to open up God's Word. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, one of the dear families from the Trinity Congregation uh, has come this afternoon, Greg and Jennifer Essel. Thankful to have, have them here. And... Uh, it's, it's just a, a sweet blessing uh, to fellowship together, to enjoy uh, the oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at in the next session is what to do when that oneness is disrupted. Uh, what does God want us to do? What does he call us to do? Um, what... Uh, perspective should we have on trouble when it comes? Uh, what steps does God want us to take uh, to address um, when, when oneness is disrupted? And so if you would turn with me in God's holy word to the gospel of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And uh, <clears throat> we will begin reading in verse 1 uh, down through verse 10. And uh, if you would be so kind as to stand with me if you're able, uh, out of reverence for the living God and, and His Word. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Please be seated. <clears throat> let's, let's pray together. Father, we do... Uh, again, bow before you, acknowledging our utter dependence on you uh, to come by your blessed spirit, Lord Jesus, and 
preach your gospel to my heart in the hearts of your dear lambs uh, here this day. Lord, we thank you for your very word, the Holy Scriptures. We thank you, O Lord, that even though you gave it through the men of old, it was not their word then and it is not now. We thank you that it was and is and forever will be your very word, the word of your mouth. And we thank you, O Lord, you have preserved and kept your word. And we beg, Lord Jesus, that you would come now. And Father, we cry to you that as your little children, that you would give us your spirit this day to touch our hearts to grant to us soft and tender hearts toward you and toward one another uh, in our church family, in our own particular homes, that, Father, as, as we live this side of heaven, and, Lord, as we are so painfully aware uh, of sin, our own sin, the sins of others, uh, that, Lord, you would give us uh, your saving presence and that we would experience uh, the resurrection power of your Son in not only our own hearts, but in our relationships so that you would be praised. Lord, how we thank you uh, that even though sin is real and that we struggle with sin, that if we belong to you, Lord Jesus, there is victory and hope in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we love you and we bow before you now and ask that you would come, encourage us as your little lambs, and build us up in you, Lord Jesus, our only Redeemer and Savior. In Christ we pray, amen. In Luke chapter 17, the Lord declares to us uh, that uh, temptations to sin are sure to come. Uh, we do not have to look any further than the mirror uh, to be confronted with the fact that even as those who are trusting in Jesus, uh, we struggle with sin. Uh, a Christian is someone who loves Jesus. A Christian is someone who knows the saving power of Jesus. And yet, at the same time, we are, as the Apostle Paul cried in Romans chapter 7, at times the very thing that we want to do, we don't do. And the very thing that we know we ought not to do, we find ourselves doing. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me? Who will deliver us uh, from uh, this uh, state that we are in? And the answer rings with great clarity and joy. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the books that was recommended uh, to you for this conference, um, I, I plead guilty. Uh, I'm the one who recommended this, this little book, and at first glance you might think, well, what a strange book, a book on marriage? 
uh, for a conference uh, addressing cultivating a healthy church life. And yet, this little book that I have used so many times in premarital counseling as well as counseling couples uh, who have been married many, many years, I think has profound implications not only for obviously a marriage, that was what it was written for, but also uh, an easy application of the principles that we find, the biblical truths in this book. And one of the things that is found in this book is the story of Wilmer McLean. Uh, is his name familiar? Okay. Wilmer was a farmer. And in 1861, Wilmer got up one morning, and to his horror, a battle was unfolding on his farm. It was the Battle of Bull Run, First Manassas. And Wilmer was horrified to see the death and the carnage that uh, uh, devastated uh, his, his farm. And he told his wife, uh, we, we, we can't stay here. I, I can't risk this happening again to my family to be overrun with this carnage. And so Wilmer sold his farm and he decided to move to a place where he would have security and safety. And he bought a little farm east of Lynchburg in a little place called Appomattox, Virginia. And yes, Wilmer McLean learned, <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. Indeed, that's one of the little stories in this book, just a little plug for the book. Uh, but the point that uh, Dave Harvey made in this book is that this side of heaven uh, you're going to have to deal with sin. And that's what our Lord Jesus is declaring here in Luke chapter 17. Uh, the Lord tells us that that is a sad reality, in fact, in our own homes. Uh, we are those who this side of heaven, even though we love Jesus and we love one another, husbands and wives, parents and children, and our own families, and this is true in the family of God, in a congregation, this side of heaven, we're going to have to deal with sin. Uh, we need to understand that, and when those breaches come, instead of despairing, instead of running from them, seek to address them in a godly way and view them as opportunities to seek to help the other party and for ourselves to grow in the grace of God. Why does God allow breaches to come? Well, ultimately it is for God's own glory. Indeed, He is a sovereign God. And he could have made life so that the second we become a Christian, zoop, we're gone. He could have done that. 
And people would be wondering, where did Henry go? He was here just a moment ago, and now he's gone. But no, it is the Lord's good pleasure uh, to save his people at various stages in life as he sees fit, some uh, uh, in uh, adulthood like the Apostle Paul or some as a young Timothy or some as John the Baptist, even in the womb, in various ways drawing people by the same sweet gospel by the power of God to repent and believe in Jesus and then adopt us after he has justified us. He adopts us and then begins the process of sanctifying us. And the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, temptations are sure to come. And in the next phrase, he reminds us that we are responsible. Yes, God is the sovereign God, and we are responsible before the Lord to trust and obey Jesus. But woe to the one through whom they come. And the Lord gives this warning then that we... Uh, uh, yes, answer for our own sin, but to whatever degree uh, we are dealing with other people, we also will answer for how we treat and deal with others. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And so where do we begin then to put into practice these truths to live in light of that. Well, the Lord Jesus tells us in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. The Lord says, we need to look at ourselves. That is one of the things that Satan loves to do. He loves to whisper in our ears, look at what they have done. But Jesus begins to apply uh, this fact that <coughs> we live in a fallen world by calling upon us to pay attention to ourselves. Uh, this is not the only place that we see this in Holy Scripture. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, uh, the Lord Jesus says that we need to be good farmers who use prolifically our rakes and not our pitchforks. Now, farmers have tools, and uh, a good gardener, you know how to use a rake and you know how to use a pitchfork. And pitchforks um, are primarily for the purpose of pitching things away from you. You get some hay, straw, weeds, whatever, and you pitch it into a wheelbarrow, uh, into a wagon to be carted off. It is easy for us to be proficient in the use of the pitchfork spiritually, uh, uh, applying the truth of God's Word uh, to others. Oh, how they need to take note of this truth. But the Lord Jesus says that is not where we begin when we think about sin. Even when we're confronted with sin that has come between us and another person. 
The Lord Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. And here in Luke chapter 7, uh, one of the most misquoted passages in the Bible, there are a couple of others that may uh, buy for first place, but this one probably is the most misquoted passage in our day and time in all of Scripture. In verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, uh, Most people put a period after judge not. But that is not what Jesus says. He says judge not lest you be judged. He is saying you better be careful, Henry, how you pitch the truth to others because, as we read in verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so here's this truth. What does it mean to pay attention to ourselves? It means that the standard of right and wrong, the standard of what God says is true and good and right, and what God says is wrong ought to be applied to ourselves first. And Jesus uses the the analogy of somebody who uh, is, is vision impaired, who is seeking to help their neighbor who is also vision impaired. And if I'm vision impaired, how am I going to see to get a speck of sawdust out of your eye? Now, not too many years ago, I I was cutting firewood with a chainsaw. And the wind, uh, a gust of wind came. And a little teeny itsy bitsy speck of sawdust flew up in my eye. It felt like a log. It was not. But I I went in the house. I I asked my wife, you know, can you see anything? And and she could not. And long story short, I ended up having to go uh, to our beloved doctor. And he first said, well, I can't see anything. And I wasn't surprised because he needs glasses. Uh, he's been reluctant to wear glasses, but he, he did reach in his pocket. I was relieved. And he put his glasses on. He said, let me take another look. And he looked and he said, oh, I see now. And so that's the picture Jesus paints. He says, before I can see to get the speck out of my brother's eye, I need to get my own vision repaired. I've got a log in my own eye, and you can just picture in your mind's eye, I walk up to you with a log sticking out of my eye, you know, great old big log, and I say, you know, looks to me like you've got a speck of sawdust in your eye. Here, let me help you. I mean, what a ludicrous picture that is. 
But that's what Jesus says ought to be taking place when trouble comes, when a, a breach takes place in our homes, in our church family. We need to pay attention to ourselves. We need to first humble ourselves before the Lord and take the log. We need to apply the truth, the standard of right and wrong. Now, turn with me over to the book of Romans. And before we look at that, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men. God says that a Christian is somebody who has a desire to run after peace with everybody. We want to be easy to get along with. We want to be people who are known that we are, are willing to bend. Uh, we're willing to give way uh, to uh, put the desires and the needs of of others uh, before our, our own needs and desires. Pursue peace with all men. But it's not the kind of peace that the world peddles. The world peddles a counterfeit peace, a perverted version of true peace. The world peddles a peace that basically says, you need to go along with anything anybody else wants to be and do. You ought never draw any lines outside of your own little cocoon of life. Uh, if other people have a different definition of right and wrong, fine. I, I affirm you wherever you are. Uh, one of the television shows that was... Uh, very popular when my children were, were little, uh, was Mr. Rogers. You know, Mr. Rogers comes in with his suit coat on. He takes that off. And what does he do? Oh, he puts on his cozy, homey sweater. And he, you know, walks over real casually, and he looks in the, in the camera, and he says... I love you just the way you are. Now that's the world's kind of peace. And the Lord Jesus says, no, that's not true peace. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, one of the churches was rebuked for tolerating the woman Jezebel. You see, uh, God's kind of peace is described here in Verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the holiness with it, without which no one will see the Lord. God's kind of peace. It's a holy peace based on holiness, based on being right with the living God through the redeeming work of Jesus. It is based on God's standard of right and wrong. And so as we find ourselves in uh, breaches of peace. Uh, when uh, conflict comes, 
one of the very first things we need to do is we need to pay attention to ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, is this a holiness issue that has come between us, or is this a Christian liberty issue? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you raise chickens. But I submit to you that even though I love homegrown fresh eggs, mm, that that is not, and I know this will shock, but that is not a holiness issue. If there are people who who say, you know, I really think if you don't grow your own eggs, you ain't much. Uh, There are all kinds of issues in this day and time that Satan would love to use to divide God's people. And we need to be very careful. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can sort out in our own minds and hearts, is this a holiness issue? Is this an issue that that I can't bend on? Or is this a Christian liberty issue? There are some people who like lemon meringue pie better than chocolate meringue pie. Now that is shocking to me. Why would anyone choose lemon meringue pie if you could have the best, which is chocolate meringue pie. But there are people who are that mixed up. And, and, they, and it's easy for us in our homes, in our church family, for things like that to get all tangled up and we draw lines and have conflict over things that we shouldn't have conflict. And so, here again is an illustration of how important it is for us to know God. To know His character, His perfections, to know the paths of God, to know the commandments of God. To understand how uh, the gospel uh, fits with all of the things that we're dealing with in everyday life. And again, I would urge you to see how much we as individuals and families need to grow together in the Lord Jesus uh, under the, the Lord Jesus being our great, not only priest and not only king to subdue us, but prophet to teach us his precious word. Uh, one of the tools that God has provided is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Larger and Shorter Catechisms. It's a wonderful teaching tool that I would encourage you in your homes uh, to be reading through and using uh, as a teaching tool for yourself. Uh, As you uh, come to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, as you take advantage Uh, of the times of of personal discipleship with your pastor and your elders, uh, to in addition to that, that we looked at last night, that is so crucial uh, to be growing in the unity of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the practical uses of that truth is for us to know 
where we must draw lines and where we ought and must give way. Holiness issues versus Christian liberty issues. Now, when I was first married, we had lots of opportunities to learn the difference between those two categories. And I would have to ask myself, now, is squeezing the toothpaste tube in the middle of the tube, which is how my wife gets toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube, I do it the right way. I squeeze from the bottom up. Well, no, that's a Christian liberty issue. And that was hard for me to come to grips with. I mean, I had always squeezed from the bottom of the tube. And that's how it is in a, in a, a family of believers, a church family. Uh, we need to be careful. We need to pay attention to ourselves to apply the truth of God's Word to self. And one of the questions we must ask is, is this a Christian liberty issue? If it is, then we need to give way. Uh, whether we view ourselves as the weak or the strong brother, uh, it, it works both ways. And we won't take the time, but I would encourage you to read the confession on the chapter of Christian liberty. And look up the scripture references. Fascinating Bible study. And you can begin by just reading the scriptures themselves in Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15, where the Lord instructs us uh, that we are not to stand in judgment of the Lord's servant. Uh, if If... If we understand the truth but somebody else doesn't, they're weak in the faith. Or if we are weak in the faith, we should not uh, uh, hold in disdain uh, those uh, who understand uh, that they have liberty to do something that we, uh, we don't want to do. Uh, we must treat each other with the love and dignity and respect uh, that Jesus demands. Another thing that is so crucial is for us to understand God's definition of love. Uh, the world again has perverted. The world's definition of love is giving and receiving warm fuzzies. Uh, that, you know, I want to make you feel good. Uh, again, Mr. Rogers and, and when that really came home to me, one day I, I came home for lunch and, and the children were watching Mr. Rogers. Um, my wife was there and she was fixing lunch or supper or breakfast. I don't remember what meal it was. But anyway, I, I walked in. It was before the days of DVDs and VCRs. So it, it was on TV, you know. And... Uh, my my two oldest children were sitting there, and I turned around. The next thing I knew, one of them had picked up a toy and just whopped the other one on the head. And, and I mean, it was a, a vicious blow. Uh, you know, it was a resounding blow. And just as that happened, Mr. Rogers said, I love you just the way you are. 
And I thought, whoa, what, wait a minute. What are we, what, are, what am I communicating to my children? You know, that you can, you can bodily, physically attack your brother or your sister and, and you're good to go? Well, that's the world's definition, perversion of so-called love. But that's not God's definition. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, God's kind of love isn't for the purpose of necessarily making the other person feel good. God didn't sit up in heaven and have gooey feelings toward us. God took action, sacrificially gave his Son to come and live in this fallen world as the spotless, pure Lamb of God and die upon the cross. And the definition of that good, doing good, is God's definition of good. And so to love may mean that another person does feel good. For example... If a parent calls a child to come in from swinging on the swing set so that you can... Uh, honey, I want you to come in now so that you can enjoy a, a hot fudge Sunday with me. Hey, hey. That's pretty fun. You know? I mean, the child doesn't mind leaving the swing set to come in and enjoy a hot fudge Sunday. But if the parent says, honey, you need to come in because we have to talk about something. Uh-oh. Not fun. Not making the other person feel good. So we need to understand God's definition of love. Uh, we uh, see over in 1 Peter chapter 4... Above all, we need to keep fervent love for one another. Uh, the apostles were living in a, a period of time where things were coming uh, to a head that would culminate in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And that's the end that Peter is referring to here. He wasn't mixed up that the end of the world was uh, at hand, uh, ready uh, to end. Uh, but he was saying God's people are going to be going through a period of intense persecution. And in the face of that, you need to keep fervent love for one another. And so as Jesus instructs us, pay attention to yourselves. First of all, we need to understand, we need to take the log out of our own eyes. Secondly, we need to sort out what's going on. We need to have the standard of right and wrong. Is it this a Christian liberty issue or a holiness issue. And then this third thing is God calls us to love. That the motive of our heart and the actions that we take are to be out of love for our great God in the Lord Jesus Christ because He has first loved us and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we see there in 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Here we see that uh, when we love God and love others in the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us a different perspective in how to deal with breaches of fellowship with those around us. Well, 1 John chapter 4, God says, uh, uh, Beloved, let us love one another, in verse 7, For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, that's not all God is. In 1 John chapter 1, we read, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And so this declaration that God is love uh, is part of uh, the splendor of who God is. And he has revealed much of his glory to us in Holy Scripture. All that we need to know, uh, to know our God in the Lord Jesus Christ and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When Jesus comes again in glory, he is going to reveal more of his glory. But until he comes and ends history, uh, this is sufficient revelation for us. And down in chapter 5, we'll look at the very end of chapter 4 in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Uh, The content of love is doing what God says is right. That's, That's what love is in action. Another passage that declares this same truth to us is over in Romans Chapter 13, verse 8 and following. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so when we find ourselves in our church family, in our own home, with a breach of fellowship, uh, what does God call us to do? He calls us to action. He calls us to love, to do what God says is right in terms of, of that other person. Viewing ourselves as God's servant to serve in His name seeking to help that other person. 
We apply the standard of right and wrong first to ourselves. We apply the gospel to ourselves. And then we seek to help the other person. Well, um, what does it look like? Well, let's look at several passages of, of, of Scripture. Um, God calls us to be peacemakers. God's kind of peace. God calls us to love. And that means we are called upon to do what God says is right in our dealings one with another. And so let's say that someone does a, a, a offensive thing to you in the church family or the home. And so 1 Peter 4.8 says that we ought to keep fervent love one for another because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, so, um, what we're going to look at, the steps that God calls upon us to take, that doesn't mean that every time you see your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister um, do something that is not exactly what God says you ought to do, that means you need to become a spiritual Barney Fife. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Andy Griffith Show, uh, but Barney Fife was his trusty, uh, uh, amazing deputy. And Barney Fife was quick uh, to write out tickets uh, for everyone else. And so uh, the Lord warns us. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, if your your I know this would never happen, but let's just pretend that your husband gets up one day and he's in a grumpy mood. I know that never happens, but let's just pretend. And you can either go, you know, that isn't right. I'm gonna I'm I, I need to address this. Or you can say, you know, he was he was up late last night. He hasn't been feeling well. Uh, he's had this kidney stone, and I, I just need to pray for it. Uh, bless his heart. And, and love covers it. Now, if he keeps, you know, being grumpy, then you may have to jump in. But if you come up to him, as Pastor Vandermurphy described, and you give him a hug, um, love can cover a multitude of sins. There are some sins that should not be covered. Uh, if my wife discovers that I'm plotting to rob the First National Bank of Taswell, that would not be something that she would go, well, you know, I love him. I don't need to let love cover it. Um, absurd. Uh, but if it's just a, a everyday minor thing, you know the general character of one another, that's just not like him. Uh, then you can just pray for that person. Uh, you can seek to do acts of, of kindness uh, to win them uh, uh, back to a closeness with the Lord and with fellowship. But let's say that that isn't working. Then what? 
Well, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so here again is a rake passage where God says, you know, remember the log, remember humility. I too struggle with sin. And so we are to seek to restore uh, in a spirit of gentleness someone who is struggling with sin. That is not the world's way of dealing with breaches. The world's way is, if you do me wrong, I can dish it back out. That's how the world thinks and operates. And may it not be so uh, with us in our church family, in our own homes, uh, that instead of returning evil for evil, we return good for evil. The Lord says, if anyone is called, we who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. In Matthew chapter 18, very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, here's what God says we ought to do. In verse 15, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, There are other things that flow out of that if that doesn't work. But sadly, the evangelical church in our day and time has largely ignored that instruction by our Lord Jesus. Sadly, in many relationships, in churches, in families, the breach has taken place long, long ago. And that breach has become a cancer that has grown and grown and grown. And things really do get difficult. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus, here you have, if your brother sins, you go to him. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 23, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so if we're the one who has offended or we're the one who is offended, we seek to be reconciled with those uh, who there is a rub with. Back to uh, Luke chapter 17 as we wrap things up. Jesus not only said, pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, just stop and think. Seven times in a day. One, he talked ugly to me. 
Yeah, he came and asked for forgiveness. But then he said something about, as Pastor Mandeverby said, the meal that I had spent hours preparing. And the third thing was, he wouldn't even listen to me when I was talking to him about how I wanted to rearrange the furniture in the living room. And the fourth thing was, and by the time you get to the seventh thing in the day, whew, and each time he has come and said, I repent, please forgive me. And Jesus says, if that happens in one day, you must forgive him. And what did the apostles say? Increase our faith. Jesus, you've got to be kidding. We can't, we can't do that. We don't have enough faith. And Jesus tells them two things. He tells us two things. Number one, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, the teeny-eensiest bit of faith in Jesus. Jesus enables us to do what we naturally could not do. Naturally, you can't say to a tree, be uprooted, and it throws itself in the sea. But Jesus can do anything he wants to. He can even enable self-centered, selfish people to die to self in the Lord Jesus Christ and to delight to be his servant, and to forgive in his name. So that's the first thing. The second thing, he tells them, you have forgotten who you are. Which person has someone under their authority? Now, we don't have servants and masters in this culture, but you have gone to Chick-fil-A. Have you ever gone into a Chick-fil-A and walked up the counter and said, I'd like number four, the chicken strip. Uh, my wife knows what I'm going to order every time we go. I, I, I'm kind of a creature of habit. And have you ever experienced that the person behind the counter said, wait a minute, <laughs> Mr. Johnson, I have not had lunch. I'm going to go eat my lunch, and when I finish, I'll come back and take your order. Has that ever happened to you? Well, of course not. Well, if it did, they wouldn't be working there long. But that's this picture of I deserve, I, my rights. How deadly. Jesus says, disciples, he says to us, Henry, you've forgotten who you are. You have forgotten that when you do your duty, you will just say, I was an unprofitable servant. I've only done what I was commanded to do, the best I can do, because Jesus is worthy. Now, over in Romans chapter 12, and we don't have time to look at this in detail, but I, I want to just mention a couple of things as we close. The Lord calls upon us to love. He calls upon us to be those who fight against other people's sin with doing what God says is right. And before we think about getting other people involved, and it ought to be a grief and a sorrow, we ought to literally weep 
that other people are estranged from us. Uh, when we talk with people and we, we, we can't be reconciled, then we offer to go uh, sit down with someone else to look at, at, at the issues. And we say, I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm right in this, but I'm willing to go to other people, to the elders. Husbands and wives need to do that. If you have something where you can't resolve it with each other, you ought to be the one to say to the person who's offended, let's go and sit down with godly men. And if they uh, show me from Scripture where I'm wrong, by God's grace, I will repent. The Lord calls upon us to be those who do all that we can to live at peace. What does the world do? Well, if somebody does you wrong, it's not fun to go to someone and say, you know, there's something between us and I desire to be reconciled. That's not fun. It's not easy. But you know what? It's the right thing to do. It's, it's God's safety valve. And I'm going to close by telling you a story about a pressure cooker. Anybody know what a, what a pressure cooker is? Well, it's a, 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 a pot that produces pressure, and you can cook in it quick. Okay? And so in the olden days... Pressure cookers, when they first came out, didn't have safety valves. And the pressure would build and build and build, and guess what? If it builds too much, it literally explodes like a bomb. Horrifying. And people were maimed and killed. And so the manufacturers of pressure cookers said, you know, probably be a good idea to put this little rubber safety valve up here in the top of this pressure cooker so that if it gets too much pressure. And when I was a little boy, we went to visit my grandparents. My grandparents were farmers, and we walked in the kitchen one uh, Friday night, got there late. Granny would always fix popcorn. And I was about six years old, and I was looking forward to the popcorn. And we walked in the kitchen, the big part of the old uh, farmhouse uh, that had 12-foot ceilings. And there on the ceiling was this green blotch, about that big. And I thought, man, that's weird. I have never seen a green blotch on Granny's ceilings. And so I asked my Granny, Granny, what's that green blotch? And she changed the subject. And me being the bright light bulb that I've always been, I persisted and I asked again. And again, she changed the subject. And I asked the third time. And the third time, my mama took, took me aside. Henry, be quiet. Granny doesn't want to talk about it. Well, I later found out that my granny had been cooking green beans in the pressure cooker. And she had gotten busy and forgotten all about the pressure cooker. And the safety valve had blown. 
and it had deposited all the content in that pressure cooker through that little bitty hole up on the ceiling. And my dad was very kind and gracious, and he got a ladder and scraped them off the next day and repaired the ceiling, and that was the end of the story. But the point is, yes, the beans were a mess, but nobody was destroyed because of the safety valve. And you need to understand that God has put us together and that one of the safety valves that God has provided so that if somebody does start straying, so that they aren't destroyed by that sin that just continues to build and build and build and finally destroys them. Ultimately, if they don't repent in this life, in an eternal hell, and God has given us the privilege and joy to be His tool to go to a brother or a sister and with a heart of compassion say to them, I love you and there's something that's come between us and I beg you in the name of Jesus, let's be reconciled. That's what God calls us to be practicing, doing in our homes and in our church family for the praise of God and the good of His kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear ones. Lord, you know that these are, are hard things for us to do. Uh, Lord, it's, it's hard for us to get the log out of our own eye. Uh, Lord, it's easy for us to, to see and think of sin in others. Uh, but Lord, you call upon us to be uh, removing the log so that we can see clearly. Lord, it's a call for us to be humble before you. It's a call for us, Lord, to be uh, uh, remembering why we're here, that we're not here for our own ease. We're here to serve you. And, and Lord, we thank you that you have provided a safety valve in our church families, in our homes. And Lord God, we know that there are those situations where even though we desire with all our heart for reconciliation to take place, uh, Lord, even with those who are professing Christians, uh, Lord, sometimes Paul uh, and, and, and Barnabas uh, separate for a time. And so, Lord, we are humbled and we just bow before you and we beg for mercy and grace. We pray, Lord, for your spirit to protect our own families, our, our church family, uh, from the wiles of the evil one, uh, from his designs. Uh, Lord, from the pride that would arise within our own hearts. Lord, from the pressures of the world. And that we would be those who delight to be sons and daughters of the king and to pursue peace and love and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, bless us to be those who, who learn uh, to confront one another with gentleness and kindness 
and to be quick to forgive when people say, I repent. That, Lord, we would be those quick to reach out the olive branch to entice those who have done wrong to repent. Lord, bless, we, we ask, because you've written your name upon us. And we want to honor you. We want to please you. And we want to be a blessing to those around us. With all our heart, Lord, you know that's our heart's desire, so that you would be praised. Lord Jesus, you're worthy. And we love you, and I thank you so much for these lambs. Bless them and continue to keep us. In Jesus we pray, amen.